welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Paddington 2. Do you want to tell us a bit about this movie, Jan? Paddington 2 is a 2018 film uh, written and directed by Paul King, as well as written by Simon Farnby. It stars the voice of Ben Winshaw as Paddington, as well as Hugh Bonneville, Sally Hawkins, Brendan Gleeson, Julie Waters, Jim Broadbent, Peter Capaldi, and Hugh Grant, as well as many, many others, including a lot of cameos. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot of Paddington 2, Paul? Paddington Bear is now happily living with the Brown family. He wants to buy a present for his Aunt Lucy and finds a beautiful pop-up book of London. But the pop-up book is stolen by a shady actor played by Hugh Grant. Paddington is framed for the robbery and ends up in prison. The Brown family solve the mystery and discover that Hugh Grant is the villain. They expose him and he goes to prison. Yep. That's the plot. <laughs> Basically. Um, so let's start, as we usually do, on an objective level of judgment of craft. How good a job are they doing in making this movie? Much like the first movie, the CGI on Paddington is quite flawless. He, he fits seamlessly into this live-action world, and I find myself forgetting a lot of the time that he is CGI. Yeah. Uh, there was only one instance in this movie where I, where it got weird. What was that? There was a moment in the very beginning, he puts on a pair of glasses and like a silly hat. Yeah. And it goes from being, you can tell it goes from being real to being CGI on the bear. And it just, it wasn't quite right. Yeah. It was basically like one tiny screw up in a movie where it's excellent. So the effects good good. they're doing a good job and like the thing to pay attention to there's many aspects of paying attention to in effects but like the way that things move the way that things interact with the real world the way the shadows work Mm -hmm. like it doesn't have to be believably realistic which it mostly was but Mm -hmm. it doesn't always have to be believably realistic to be convincing yeah uh, and it was always convincing. Always. And usually believably really realistic, but like the motion and the shadow and the color and the layering and all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, really very good. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about the writing. Mm-hmm. And in two things I want to say about the writing. First is just the comedy. Mm-hmm. This movie was really funny. It was really funny. Very funny. I think we were laughing hardest. Of, we saw this in theaters, and I think we were laughing hardest of anyone in the theaters. But it was really funny. Yeah, there were many moments where I laughed, yes. like I heartily guffawed. Yeah. Uh, and I, like one of them, for example, the moment where Paddington is being a window washer and he has a big bucket filled with water and it's too heavy for him to lift. So he makes a rope to... Uh, winch it up and that whole sequence was funny like so well executed physical comedy especially Mm -hmm. considering there wasn't a physical actor yeah uh 
so well executed, the timing is all good, and the especially, I got all of it, but the moment where he winches it all up and grabs the rope and like takes a deep breath and jumps and doesn't move because the bucket is heavier than he is. Yeah. And like, and from that moment on, every step of where things go wrong for him is foreseeable, but not preventable. Yeah. Which is like perfect physical comedy. Mm -hmm. You know what's going to happen and he knows what's going to happen, but there's nothing he can do about it. Nothing he can do about it. (laughs) There's quite a few moments of of physical comedy like that. That's very silent film. Mm -hmm. Like, um, the part where he goes to the clockworks yeah. is like straight up a tribute to uh, it's Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin who does that. One of them does that in in one of those movies, um, and like yeah, it's just straight up a tribute to that. And there's a few different things where Paddington has this physical comedy that's very silent film style. And then there's also like other sight gags mm-hmm. and wordplay and puns and character like a lot of different kinds of jokes all executed really well in the writing and the performance but Mm -hmm. i'm talking about writing at the moment like so well written the comedy yeah i think like the first movie there's kind of something for everyone there's the there's the comedy that's you know slapstick physical comedy there's the comedy that's funny wordplay there's just a lot of layers of comedy it's not just one thing and i'm gonna point out one other one one other aspect of the good writing of comedy is the use of callbacks to the previous movie that Mm -hmm. i thought just like that is how you do a callback people uh take notes because there's a moment where paddington is the villain is chasing paddington and the villain hugh grant says exit bear pursued by an actor and it's like that's a good joke. It's in character for him to say. It's mm-hmm. a Shakespeare reference. But it's also a callback because in the first movie, uh, one of the kids is in school and their teacher says, this is Shakespeare's most famous stage direction, exit pursued by a bear, and then Paddington floats by. Yep. But you don't need to know it's a callback to find it funny. So, like, just... It I works know, on all levels. I know picking apart comedy isn't funny, <laughs> yep. but, like, why it's so effective is it makes perfect sense if it wasn't a callback but it also is a callback like yep. that's how you do it take notes take notes that yeah exactly there's a lot of making it's a it's just a perfect sequel i think mm-hmm. because it takes what was good in the first one and doesn't bang that drum again it bangs it in a different way it doesn't repro- yeah and that's the other thing that like a bad callback would be just the same exact joke. Yeah, and we've definitely seen that in a lot of sequels that we've talked about. And the exit actor pursued, exit bear pursued by an actor, like, it's yeah. not the same joke. Nope. At all. But it's a callback to the previous joke. In terms of good quality writing, I want to say one more thing before I stop uh, talking about the writing, and that is just the structure of the story, I don't think there is anything in the first act that they seed that doesn't pay off. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, the most impressive example I can think of in a kid's movie. And maybe the most impressive example I can think of in a movie of what should be easy, but isn't like what shouldn't be that high a bar, but no one manages to meet it. 
every Chekhov's gun goes off. Mm -hmm. Everything that they mention in the first act pays off and has a purpose in the third act. From, like, Mrs. Bird finds a coin, gives him a coin Mm -hmm. in the very first scene, and he uses it at the very end. Yep. We hear, like, his telling a story to his Aunt Lucy about the four Browns and what they all are doing with their lives, and every one of them... It pays off by mm-hmm. the end of the movie. They use their talent or use what they're doing right now to help Paddington. And to, yeah, it was really neat. It just like every, every, everything paid off. Mm-hmm. And I don't think if there was anything, it, it I missed it. I really don't think there was anything in Act 5 uh, or Act 3, however mm-hmm. long the movie is. I don't know how to divide it into Acts without thinking more hard. Uh, yeah. More consciously about it but i don't think there was anything in the final act that was new in the final act yeah like both everything in act one ended up being seeding for act three and also everything in act three was a payoff there wasn't some new element suddenly introduced and it just again is like this shouldn't maybe be praise it to the moon it should be like what you expect from a story but we just see so many stories that don't manage to do that yeah like it it just connects yeah i would say like yeah if like you could bounce a quarter off this kind of writing that kind of thing you know it's very tight the script is very tight yeah um performances it's the same most of the same actors as well as the first movie doing the same great job they did before paddington's voice is very good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that they stuck with the same voice actor for that. New character this time around is Hugh Grant playing Phoenix Buchanan. Phoenix Buchanan. Phoenix Buchanan. And uh, he is very good in this role. It's kind of a uh, typecasting to have Hugh Grant in this kind of a role. This charming, yet also a bit, you don't fully believe the charming. Yeah, I was saying in the car on the ride home that I think mm. it's the exactly right kind of charming for Hugh Grant to play that is charming enough that it's persuasive that he has charmed everyone around him, but not charming enough that he charms the audience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of a hard line. It is. And like, he charms the audience to the degree that he's fun to watch on screen, mm-hmm. but he's not so charming that we're on his side mm. uh, ever. We can always see through it. But it's still persuasive that everyone is charmed. Yeah. And it's very much showcasing his talents by having him do all these different accents and little, like, yeah. playing different roles as an actor. It, he, it kind of reminded me of uh, Count Olaf from Series of Unfortunate Events. Yeah. Which, yeah, it was a similar similar idea. It was a good performance. And we were, I, we also said this before we started recording, but, like, Comparing this to Paddington 1, mm-hmm. there are things that are better, there are things that are worse, there are things that is, are the same, but one thing that's better, like Hugh Grant's performance and writing, mm-hmm. this is a better villain, a much better villain. It's a much better villain, much than better Nicole than Nicole Kidman, Kidman in the first one. Yeah. You liked her less than I did. Yeah, I didn't really like her at all. I thought her performance was fine, but the writing yeah. of that character was not... Like, it was flat. Mm-hmm. Especially, and it's, it's such a humorous movie. She wasn't funny at all and wasn't written to be funny. Whereas Hugh Grant was very funny and written to be that way. Yeah. 
And also his motivation makes way more sense. Yeah. It's much stronger that like Paddington and Hugh Grant, he, he doesn't out to foil Paddington because he irrationally hates Paddington. Yeah. They just both want the same MacGuffin. Yeah. Right. It's a way stronger motivation for him as a villain. Yeah. Subjectively. I think like, and to remind our listeners, we had very good things to say about the first Paddington. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of just like the craft, this movie at least lives up to the first Paddington in some ways surpasses it. I think some of the creativity of the camera shots, uh, it was very creative camera work. It was. Um, maybe not quite as quirkily creative as the first Paddington. Yes and uh, no. There were definitely some moments of really interesting camera work. And while we're talking objectively about the craft, I want to draw attention to one of those. Mm-hmm. There are a few of them. But I said a second ago it maybe didn't have as many. I think it had one long, like, impeccably done creative and imaginative moment. And that's when Paddington sees this pop-up book. He wants to give it to his Aunt Lucy, and he's looking at it, and he imag- he it zooms in on the pop-up book, and his Aunt Lucy is there. And Aunt Lucy and Paddington just, like, walk around the pop-up book for several pages. Yeah. And it is... Beautiful. Yeah, it is. Really Beautifully is. animated, like inspired in conception. Mm-hmm. I'm rapturous in the words I'm describing, yep. but it's like breathtakingly well done. Yep, absolutely. And I don't think there was anything in Paddington One that was as well done as like a five minute sequence as that. I don't, mm-hmm. But there were more moments like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that uh, it had just as many moments that felt like a Wes Anderson movie, which is a a very Wes Anderson thing to do, is a dollhouse that has real people in it. And there was a moment in the jail when in the guard's office there's a dollhouse of the prison and then it opens up and you see the prisoners and and all the walls are cut away so you can see them all get up together and go under under the floor together and crawl out together and it's all a very uh, creative direction. Mm. I enjoyed that a lot. And if you don't know, uh, we coming from us, a Wes Anderson comparison is meant as a compliment. Oh, very big compliment. Some people don't like Wes Anderson. Yes, that's true. But we we do. I do. Yep. Um, I don't think this is, I think uh, because it's a children's movie and because the director's different, I think it's a little bit more heartfelt and a little less twee than Wes Anderson would mm, be. Like yes, there are absolutely, moments absolutely. of like an artistic similarity, but the the emotional register is quite different. Oh, very much. Yeah, I more mean just in terms of visual visuals, yeah. not in terms of emotions or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you like it? Yeah. I, talking about how you enjoyed it personally, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I think we've kind of uh, been a little obvious. Tipped our hand there. Yeah, I'm going to say I like it better than the first one. I liked the first one a lot. It was very surprising to me, but I like this one better. It's very hard to know because the first one, I had no expectations Mm -hmm. for. 
I didn't think I was like I didn't think I was going to dislike it, but I didn't. It was a breath of fresh air and a real surprise how good that first movie was. Mm-hmm. This movie, I went in with really high expectations that it met. Yes, that's true. Uh, so it's hard to compare my enjoyment of the two. I think I enjoyed this movie better than Paddington One. Also, my though I wasn't surprised by it. My expectations weren't that high because it was a sequel and I felt like sequels are never as good. It's it's going to try to be as good as the first one, but it's not going to be as good. And then it totally was better. I came in knowing that it had 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I didn't know that. Which it does. As of this recording, it's 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, like, and I'd heard... Not details, mm-hmm. but I'd heard like from several different sources. I saw Paddington Two, and it was so good. So I had that expectation coming in that mm. like, oh, it does meet the first movie, yeah, absolutely. But like, it's quite something to go into a movie expecting it to be really good and it living up to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I was not disappointed, absolutely, at all, absolutely. Uh, I wept openly at the end. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> So in terms of like how it uh, affected me emotionally, I liked Paddington. It gave me a Paddington one gave me a warm, happy feeling. Mm-hmm. Paddington two, I uh, like emotional journey. My emotional journey was more profound in this movie. Mm-hmm. The ending. I mean, we'll talk. Let's just say what happens at the end, mm-hmm. uh, which is padding. And again, it's so structure, the structure of the story that you could bounce a quarter off of. You, I knew what was going to happen from the first scene, mm-hmm. uh, but it still was so satisfying emotionally. So the very first scene is Paddington's aunt and uncle are like planning to go to London, and then they rescue Paddington from a river and say, oh, I guess we're not going to go to London after all, because we have a little bear cub. And then the next scene leads into... Pa- Paddington getting this pop-up book. It's not the very next scene, but mm-hmm. the next sequence ends with Paddington finding this pop-up book to give as a present to his aunt so she can feel like she's been to London. And it's this very, this, that's the walking around the pop-up book that's so impressive and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then the whole movie is him hunting down this book. And at the end, he loses it. He like, he can't get it at the end of the movie. And then they, the Browns say, well, we got your Aunt Lucy a different present. Oh, so there's someone at the door, and he opens the door, and Lucy's there. She's come to London. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously. <laughs> yeah. That's what is obviously going to happen. Yeah, it was leading up to that, but it still was an emotional so, moment. So, like, I'm kind of missing up again, because it's like, she's old. She gave up her chance. She had a chance to go to London that she gave up so that she could take care of him. And then she gets to go and they get to be together. And he gets to give her like a way better gift than he thought possible. Yeah. And she's going to be so proud of him. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It was just a beautiful moment. And that matters to me. My appreciation of a movie, like if it makes me laugh and I think it's visually effective and like that makes me like a movie, but what'll make me love a movie is if it gets me in the feels. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, should we get into the way Way too too seriously seriously? portion of our show? Let's 
do that. I think that the filmmakers listened to our episode <laughs> about Paddington 1. It was already made by the time that episode came out, but I feel like they did too. <laughs> our complaints for Paddington 1 were that London felt very white, or I don't know if we've said that exact thing, but that was a basic complaint, that there was the extended transphobic cross-dressing scene and darkest Peru being a problematic thing to call Peru. In this movie, they never said darkest Peru. Yay! Yay! They included a whole host of people of color in the background, in the movie, in... I mean, there's some issues there that we'll get into in a second, but they definitely... London looked like London does a little more. Yeah. With some diversity, because, hello, it's London. And... The cross-dressing scene, there was a cross-dressing scene. We'll get into that. Let's talk first about multicultural London in this yes, movie. Yes, absolutely. Like, and there's the good and the bad, right? Yeah. The good, there. this was a multicultural London. Yeah. What we're seeing on the screen is not just, and multicultural London in a really, first of all, like the very first scene of walking down London, he meets several people, uh... With different backgrounds. Yeah, exactly. And then multicultural, I specifically say, not just racially diverse. Yes. And when I say just, like, not that racially diverse isn't also good, but I'm distinguishing between those that what we see on the screen is immigrants. Mm -hmm. Because they have accents. And they are, like, there's the first person that he gets on a bike with a woman who uh, is... I think meant to be a French speaking African woman. Yeah. Like she has dark skin and a French accent. She could just be from France, but I think it, that it's a deliberate. Yeah, like, exactly. There's a multicultural world in London. Mm-hmm. The professor down the street who is, has an East Asian accent. Mm-hmm. And I stress the accent because it stresses the immigrantness. Yeah. Like, this is the, not just a two, movie of a diverse London, the, it's a movie of an immigrant-friendly yeah, London. The, the two either sisters or lovers, unclear, African women who wear their, like, are wearing headdresses and look specifically, yeah. you know, from Africa. Uh, there's And there's people in the background as well. Yeah, not all white. and yeah. And there's also, like... There's not just your stereotypical, you know, like, hey, it's an African person wearing a katenge. It's a variety of people. Yeah. A variety of people in a variety of roles doing a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Like the, and I talk about racial diversity. The garbage man was uh, black, but not ac- with yeah, an English he was, accent. Yeah, he was Londoner. Which is just to say, like, good job. Yeah. Wait, Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Now, the main cast is all still white. The yes. browns are all white, and the the, the villain is white. The uh, Jim Broadbent, the, who's the antique owner, is white. Like, there's, it's and then still they go to prison, cast. and the prison is racially diverse, but mm-hmm. the people who are the most important prisoner is uh, Knuckles is white. It's Irish, yeah. Irish, and... The, like, four-person gang, one of them is some, uh, Mm, has dark dark skin, skin, and is very minor, minor character in Mm -hmm. that four-piece band. Yeah. 
and the other people in the prison are even more minor than that. Yeah. So there is some complaint to be made about that, like, there's some diversity in the background, but not in the foreground. Yeah. That said, I think it, there is, like, clearly a conscious choice in this movie to correct things that they yeah, missed exactly. last time. Yeah. And, like, there's a Paddington 3, so do even better next time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Keep, keep going along this direction. Yeah. We don't talk about the uh, cross-dressing scene in this movie. Sure, I. Um, it happened to be at the time when I was taking our youngest to the bathroom, and so I didn't see it at all. So go ahead. <laughs> so there was a cross-dressing scene in this movie, just like in the last one. Hugh Grant's character is an actor who's wearing costumes throughout the movie, and he dresses up as a nun mm. to invade to infiltrate infiltrate Saint Paul's Cathedral, and. It struck me when he dressed up as a nun, like I didn't even really notice that that was a funny cross-dressing scene because of partly how it was played and partly Mm -hmm. that he is like the third in a series of funny costumes that he's wearing. Yeah. That much, I don't think they played it as like, isn't it ridiculous for a man to dress like a woman? I think they played it just like we said they should have last time, that like, look, he's wearing a silly costume. Mm -hmm. He snuck into the... And, And for a reason. Yeah. The security guard at St. Paul's is a callback character, the same security guard from the first movie, who is uh, has shares that long scene with Mr. Brown that we were so critical of. He doesn't ever share a scene with Hugh Grant in drag, he, but he tells the Browns that like there was a surprisingly attractive nun who was doing this, and I and there's like everybody stop that sexy nun. And so it's pitting again that, like, that's supposed to be funny because mm-hmm. he mistakes a man in drag for a woman and finds that a particularly sexy woman. And there's a gay panic or there's a homophobic subtext to that. Yeah. That, like, isn't it laughable that he would be attracted to a man dressed as a woman? Yeah, exactly. So that was a problem. A much, much shorter than the same than the comparable scene in the previous movie. Yeah. And much less, like, the last movie... This That scene in the last movie had so many elements that were troubling. This scene had only that one. Yeah. So, you know, you've gone from, like, seven terrible part... Terrible, uh... uh facets. Yeah. To one. To one. And even that one was fairly downplayed, especially in comparison to the last movie. That's really good. So, I mean, that doesn't, isn't praise. I still would have, could have done without that scene. But, like, you're moving in the right direction. Continue to move in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Anything else in terms of problematics? Like, well, I mean, this movie is a fantasy world. mm -hmm. And so there are elements that, that we can excuse a lot because of that fantasy world. But... There is the fact that there is this extended prison part. Mm, yep. And where the prison starts off being fairly horrific. They're feeding them gruel to the prison is a happy, super fun place where they have tea time and potted plants and potted flowers on all the bars. And both of those ends of the spectrum are fairly problematic when it comes to portraying prisons. 
if you think of prisons as real places and prisoners as real people. Yes, exactly, which, <laughs> which they are. Perhaps you should. Mm -hmm. But it is very much a fantasy. Like them escaping prison, they escape down like a twirly slide and with a, they make hot this air hot air balloon that's completely improbable and amazing. Like it is very much a fantasy world. Yeah, and I'm not looking in my children's movie for a gritty, realistic depiction of prison. prison. Definitely you know, not. like the prison sequence and how prison becomes so much nicer when Paddington's in it is explicitly about like, and even the song playing in the background is like, when we are kind to each other and help each other, the whole world becomes a better place no matter where you are. Yeah. And from that vein, like, I think it was pretty well done and a message that I actually really like. Hmm, that's a good point. But yeah, the prison, there, there is an element, the prison is the butt of a joke. Mm-hmm. And prison violence is the butt of a joke. Prison that violence Knuckles is, a, yeah. is an intimidating guy who's gonna prison violence, is butt of, prison violence is the butt of a joke. It's both, like, it makes prisons, or, like, the ridiculous prison uh, cliches... But it also, they escape from prison and are just pardoned. Like, they did something. They're, like, these are all actual criminals. Hugh, uh, Hugh is not wrong. Mr. Brown is not wrong when he's like, these are all criminals. Because they are. And it's, it's one of the funniest it moments. It is one of the funniest moments. They're, they're, they're into interview. And he turns off the light and is like, these are, they look the most motley crew and that one, that big one, it's not a brain cells to rub together. And he's like, uh, you turned off the light, not the microphone. We can still hear you. <laughs> yeah. The, mic the microphone is the, is the other side and it's labeled microphone. <laughs> yeah, that's clever. Sorry. That's okay. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Because it's mostly, that's the thing, is it's mostly played for laughs because it's kind of, it's this kid's movie, it's this fantasy world, and it's okay. But, like, there is, like, people are in prison for a reason. Paddington, yeah, and, well, is, Paddington is innocent, but not People are in is. prison for a reason. Like, that's an aspect that I'm kind of willing to push back on you about. Because mm. I think, first of all, if we're going to take things really way too seriously... It is not a foregone conclusion that imprisoning people is actually the appropriate response to uh, law-breaking. Like, yeah. that's how our society has worked for a long time. But that sense of punishment rather than rehabilitation, which is what prison is about, mm -hmm. it is not uh, obviously true that that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And so in this movie, like, they've committed crimes, but Paddington turns them into good people and they get pardoned at the end. And by good people, this movie means, like, kind and helpful and caring and uh, considerate. Mm -hmm. And the end of the movie is, like, the judge sees that they're new men and pardons them. And, like, the movie has shown us that they have changed and it is not necessarily, like, that would not necessarily be a bad idea if... People who have changed get pardoned. Yeah. And also the movie does go a little out of its way to tell us that they're thieves. Hmm. What have they they're done? They're not murderers. They're not murderers. They're thieves. They're thieves. Yeah. The reason for imprisoning people is to prevent future crimes for the safety of society and as punishment. And if they're reformed, then neither of those reasons is necessary. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you make an interesting point. So let's talk, I mean, talking about prison reform in our discussion yeah. of a kid's movie. I, yeah, I can, I, I can see what you're saying. What uh, was incredibly unrealistic about the prison is that they were serving them gruel because they can't afford better food. And to suddenly be able to make these elaborate cakes and things was beautiful, but the prison doesn't magically have money. <laughs> well, but the mo- the textual reason why they're serving them gruel is that the cook can't do a better job cooking, and everyone's too intimidated to to teach te- him to teach him how. That's true. That's true. So it's not actually like textually, it's not about the budget. Yeah, and he even says like. You know, for a comic character and a comic, there's a real moment of genuinely moving vulnerability when he makes the marmalade sandwiches and Knuckles, Brendan Gleeson's character, makes the marmalade sandwiches and won't look out to see whether they like it. And he says, like, they're going to hate it. They hate it. My dad always said I would turn out to be nothing. And he was right. And he, like, knocks over the uh, trays. And, like, it's a comic moment, but also, like fairly profoundly Hmm. moving moment of he is serving them gruel until Paddington comes because no one has taught him how to cook, but he's unable to accept criticism because he's been told since he was a child that he'll never amount to anything. And what Paddington does is, is kind to him and believe in him and teach him. And it turns him into a completely different kind of person who risks his, freedom after he escapes from jail to go like the beginning of the movie everyone's afraid of him and he says he doesn't do nothing for nobody for nothing but at the end he turns the plane around to rescue paddington for nothing because he has been transformed just by like politeness and kindness and someone believing in him paddington's great he's so good <laughs> oh paddington makes paddington is a lot like babe yeah he just Babe sees the sees good in the, people. Sees the good in people, and Paddington sees chooses the good in pe- to. Babe makes a choice to see the good in people. Yeah. Paddington kind of by his nature does. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting difference. Yeah, but it is like expecting good of people, and you find it. Mm-hmm. And that's explicitly like that's textual in the movie. A difference between this movie and the first one as well is there's no like funny drunken scenes. Yeah, that's true. There's yeah, there's just a lot of better things. There's no the stereotypical representation of parenthood that he the Mr. Brown's the father whose father like all the problems we pointed out about mothers and fathers in Paddington One. Yeah, none of those exist in this movie at all. Yeah, um, and you have I feel like you have Mr. Brown making peace with his past rebelliousness and his present situation. And he kind of goes through a different phase again of his life. And he is making peace with that past. Yeah, in this movie, he's not overprotective anymore. But by the end of the movie, he has even gone beyond learning not to be overprotective. And his little arc, Mm -hmm. which is a little arc in this movie, not a big one. Yeah. uh, Which I like because he doesn't, like, I criticized in the last movie that it's always the father's learning how to care for his children properly that mm-hmm. we see. And we don't have that in this movie at all. But what we do have is him coming to terms with his aging and reintegrating his wild past into his present. Yeah, exactly. He has the, well, you have the flashback to the past where he 
is this master at throwing, I can't remember what they call him. Coconuts. Coconuts. He, no, I can't remember what they call him. Like oh, yeah, Bullseye. Bullseye. He's Bullseye, and he, and he knocks down all three coconuts at the fair. And then at, there's a callback to that at the very end when he throws the ball at Hugh Grant and hits him in the head to knock him out so they can capture him. And they and he kind of reconciles that past ability with his present situation. Yeah, it was really good. And he uses the he's in like a yoga class and he has to do the splits between the two trains. And instead of it being like a hilarious pants ripping, groin ripping scene, it's he's been preparing for this. Yeah, in previous scenes. He's been going to yoga because he's having a midlife crisis, but then he actually uses that it's one of the many examples of they seed this as if it's a throwaway gag but then it matters yeah exactly everything in this movie matters yeah we talk a little bit about one of the most amazing character moments in the movie which is when mrs brown jumps off this high bridge mm, yeah uh and this is another moment of seeding what we've seen before mm-hmm. uh early in the movie it says that she's Plant she's been training to swim across the English Channel. And there's a moment when, late in the movie, when Paddington is trapped in a train and the train is sinking down and she jumps in to save him. There's two things really worth talking about there, I think. One, or three things. One is that, like, another example of beautifully seated and payoff. Two, in terms of gender, we get Hmm. Mrs. Brown is the one who dives into danger to give the physical rescue. Yeah, it's true. That is unusual. Especially for a mother figure. Exactly. And a mother figure who's not the cliche of, like, adrenaline. She's the mama bear saving her... Bear. Uh, She's not the saving her child in that cliched way. Mm -hmm. She's diving, like... She's using skills that we... That she has... That it makes sense that she has. The movie yeah. has told us that she has. And she has them because she wants an adventure. Because she's been illustrating adventure novels. Yep. And then she uses her skills appropriately to do something heroic that is within her skill set. And her diving off that bridge is like Wonder Woman diving off the cliff. Yeah. Like it's the same. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. And there's no reason. There's no necessity of that big dive like mm. her jumping into the water to save him would meet that payoff of what we've seen before and that but why is it such a high dive because it makes her way impressive yeah it does it does and that's awesome it also is a callback to the very very beginning of the movie where mrs where um paddington's aunt aunt lucy and they're sitting on the bridge and paddington comes floating along and he's in danger of falling in, off into the waterfall and aunt lucy dives down and catches Paddington, and that's how they adopt him. Yeah, I didn't even notice that, but that's another seeding a thing yeah. that comes back later exactly. with and a so, different character. Well, it's really interesting. I found, I was really surprised when Paddington came floating along. I thought it was going to be, oh, there's Paddington, we got to rescue him. It was, no, this is how they meet Paddington. Yeah. He, he's adopted by these two. And then he's... Their aunt and uncle, not his parents, and that yeah. was always just like, oh, whatever, you know, yeah, that's exactly. a thing in kids' movies sometimes. But to actually add a scene where, and they 
use the line, right? If we take care of this bear, mm-hmm. Aunt Lucy says. Yeah. Uh, which is the Paddington line, take care of this bear. But it's all about, again, like, family is what you make of it. Mm-hmm. In a m- really, I think, deep way, not of, like, you choose your family and found family that can be a little trite sometimes. Mm-hmm. But this movie is like, you choose your family by caring for them. Yeah, exactly. Not you make, you choose the people that you like, but that you are kind and considerate and caring and And loving and committed to people like Lucy is to Paddington. And that transforms everyone around. Mm -hmm. That Lucy is so committed to Paddington that she doesn't do her trip. And then to have the Browns so committed to Paddington that they're willing to do anything to prove he is innocent. This take care of this bear motif goes throughout the whole movie, both movies, that everyone is willing to take care of Paddington and make him part of their family. And taking care of Paddington makes everybody better. Yeah. And makes the world better. Exactly. And the message of this movie is like, taking care of each other makes the world better. That's Mm -hmm. what we see in the prison. That's what we see in, like, Paddington makes the street better by tipping his hat to the people around him. And that, like, it all starts with Lucy and, you know, kindness and bravery. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. That she, he's nothing to her, but a bear cub that she takes care of because he's there. Yep. That's another, like, that's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful movie. It was really good. And it's also just, like, really funny. There's a... Side-splittingly funny. Side-splittingly funny. There's, um... Visual gags in the background. There's, um, like, <laughs> newspaper headlines with things like, Get out of jail free card is not honored by judge. <laughs> and, yeah. and, like, there's a to-do list in the Brown's kitchen on their wall and it's one of these like boards where you can put the letters in and it just says to do and the only thing on it is free Paddington. <laughs> that's like, that my favorite ter- background joke, I think. Terrible to do list because like there are there are other things you could do that have to do with saving Paddington. <laughs> but no. But no save Paddington's the only thing on the list. Yep. And there's just yeah, there's just a lot of clever gags. There's even in uh what's his name? Phoenix Callahan, what's his, what's his Phoenix name? Phoenix Buchanan. Phoenix Buchanan's house, it's Hugh Grant, and so he has a bunch of headshots, and it's, of course, it's Hugh Grant through the years in, like, roles you'll recognize. You'll, like, yeah. you see, like, four weddings and a funeral Hugh Grant headshot, and you see, like, it's just so cleverly done, because, of course, if you have Hugh Grant, you can have the pa- his past as an actor right there in front of you. Yeah, it was, like, really funny. Yeah. Very well done. Mm-hmm. So, is this movie good? Yes, indeed it is. It is very good. Extra good. In terms of, like, just the goodness, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Is this movie seriously good? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's not seriously perfect, but I think it's seriously good. Yep, absolutely. And they fixed the few problems we have the last movie, a lot of them were fixed in this movie. All the biggest problems we had were fixed mm-hmm. or on the way to fixed. Yeah, exactly. And once again, the director of this, what's his name? Paul something? Paul King. I would love to see more things by him. 
He's doing a third Paddington movie, apparently, but definitely that guy is going places. We said this again in the car that, like, I want to see more things by Paul King, and it's not that I think... I said in the car, like, I want him to make things that aren't Paddington. Not because I think he's too good for Paddington or anything like that, just, like, I hope this is the beginning of a long and illustrious career, because he should continue making movies that are amazing. Yeah. He's a very good director. He's so good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you have seen this and would love to talk to us about it, or if you haven't seen it and now it's entirely spoiled for you. <laughs> Why are you listening to this if you haven't seen it? Yeah, because you should. You should People... listen to all our podcasts, whether you've seen the movie or not. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got a little serious there. Way too serious. Way too serious. We love it when people talk to us or send us emails or whatever. You can find us on Twitter at WTSCast. You can email us waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. We're also on Reddit, on Facebook, on Instagram, on all the places. If you want to chat with us, we're there. All those links will be in our show notes. And if you like this show, you know what to do. Give us a rating and review. Like that rhyme, eh? <laughs> I know, like, we're, we're slam poets all of a sudden. And you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And that would be lovely. Mm-hmm. So I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And I can barely stand to end this podcast. If you're kind and polite, then the world will all be right. Or something. Be more bearable. We'll be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>